Good day, everybody. Good day, Trenders. This is the Trend Podcast with Justin A. Williams. I want to welcome you to another episode. We have a great episode for you today. Today, we have Dr. Carrie Mitchell-Brown, and she is an expert in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So she has a lot of experience working in this area. We are very excited to have her. And the reason why we're having her to talk about this issue is because not only do I consult in that space, but I think it's a very important issue for our times. I think that regardless of whether you're a conservative or a liberal, I think that DEI can be made to work for you. And I think that DEI can teach us things. A lot of times what we're seeing in society and in the media now is that people are unable to learn new things. They feel scared about, you know, oh, I'm going to betray my side, my tribe by taking on a new idea or learning different things and learning from each other. And we, we really want to put a stop to that. We, want, we really want to be a society that says, regardless of where we're from, we can all turn a new page if we have to. So I want to thank my guests. Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Brown. Thank you, um, Justin, for having me. It's a pleasure uh, to be here and um, engage in this very important conversation that um, you know, many of us uh, are, are ha have had for a long time, and um, there are some new entrants into the conversation. Sure, definitely. So why don't you just introduce yourself for the audience about your background, how you got started uh, in DEI and whatnot? Yeah. Um, so um, very interesting. I, like many uh, practitioners, uh, didn't start off as a um, diversity and inclusion practitioner, and it almost, you know, had evolved uh, over the last 20 years or so. Um, you know, most of my uh, professional career, uh, I was recruited for, um, you know, my talents, experience, and skills, obviously, uh, but also because I was Black and I was a woman. And mm. um, many organizations um, uh, started to uh, be very specific around diversifying uh, their representation. Um, and along with that, you know, came opportunities to become involved in um, contributing to shaping what uh racial equity and inclusion, what well, wasn't called racial equity and inclusion um, always, but what uh, diversity uh, looked like, you know, with inside an organization. So while I had various uh, technical functions in, you know, corporate finance and um, investments, uh, there was a lot of focus on um, inclusion um, of people who didn't look like you or I uh, sure. in, um, you know, leadership roles in organizations. So I got started uh, doing, doing that very, very early in my mm -hmm. career. And then, you know, making a pivot uh, probably 15, um, 15 years ago, really focused on, you know, what does it, what does it mean to, um, build uh, a organization's um, practice on now uh, equity and inclusion. Okay, wow. So where, where are you from exactly? Where am I from? I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Originally from wow. Omaha, Nebraska. I've met, I met, I've met one person from Nebraska. Hey, now you've met two. Okay. And there's there's a bunch of us uh, from. from how do you feel? How, how do you, how do you feel about? Are you a football fan? I am not a football fan, but you know, oh, okay. um, I don't think you're supposed to say that if you're from Omaha. You're supposed to be a Huskers fan. Like, <laughs> yeah, Huskers. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're a Huskers fan. Yeah. Um, I'm a big football fan, so I I, I thought I'd ask. Uh, yeah. But, you know, coming from Nebraska. Those beginnings, how, how, how does the beginning, was it a mostly white community? Was it rural? Was it, I think when a lot of people on the East Coast, especially from New York, think of Nebraska, we think of the breadbasket of the country. We're not thinking big urban spaces where DEI seems to flourish. Yeah. Um, well, I hadn't lived in Omaha, Nebraska since graduating from, from high school, but it certainly uh, did... Um, you know, establish a foundation. I mean, uh, when I was growing up there, it was pretty segregated. Um, mm -hmm. uh, black people and people of color. And at that time, the people of color um, were uh, Spanish speaking 
um, Mexicans, uh, recent Mexican immigrants um, Mm -hmm. uh, and white people and Native Americans. Um, And we all lived in, you know, our own spots and areas. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there was an urban uh, urban city uh, type um, in Omaha, Dwelling in Omaha, Nebraska, um, certainly very different from a New York urban uh, urban area. But um, yeah, I mean, our schools were, were segregated. There were schools you can go to that were all white. There were schools that you can go to that um, you know were predominantly predominantly black. Um, and I had the experience of being bused to a predominantly white school um, mm. for my education, uh, which set up a really strong foundation uh, for the balance of, of my life um, and really learning how to, um, you know, move back and forth between uh, my right. all black neighborhood and right, family right. Um, to an, an all white, uh, all white space um, for learning um, and working. And so does that, Go ahead. so does that kind of uh, beginning lead you to see DEI diversity as a kind of thing that needs to include white people in the conversation. You know, often I had a, when I was in graduate school, I had a teacher say to me, say to the class that oftentimes men disavow the gender conversation because they associate gender only with women mm-hmm. or gender, gender now with maybe the LG, uh, LGBTQ, uh, QI plus uh, community. They don't see it as something that they're really invested in. And in fact, a lot of people, uh, white people feel like they're being attacked by DEI, right? That that inclusion really means exclusion for them. What would you have to say about that, given what your experience? I would say that is some very flawed uh, and underdeveloped analysis. Um, and oftentimes that's where you need to start in doing the work, right? Um, mm. And uh, getting clear on what conversation, you know, we're having and we know, um, you know, it's on all multiple levels. It's not just the interpersonal. And oftentimes when we, um, you know, talk about um, diversity and inclusion or inclusion uh, specifically, there is a need to have a conversation. If we're going to talk about inclusion, we must first understand who has been excluded and why. And mm-hmm. oftentimes when we engage in the who has been excluded and why, uh, there is some you know personal uh, association uh, to that where um, folks who have been excluded, don't want to engage and the folks who have benefited from the exclusion uh, don't want to engage. But oftentimes that is a great place to start um, in establishing what conversation we're actually having together and what's required of the collective work for for all of us, Um, because it's not working for anyone. Right. Yeah. Right. So what's not working for anyone? Exclusion. Exclusion. Okay. Yeah. Exclusion um, and these circular arguments on, um, you know, wanting to have it, not wanting to have it being involved, not wanting to you mm-hmm. know, be involved. And it's almost a privilege, right? It's a privilege to yeah, yeah. Uh, say, this is a conversation that right. I want no parts of right, um, right, 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 right. Uh, because it may require for me to do something different. Um, right. It's usually... Uh, the experience of people who have not been mm-hmm. excluded. Mm-hmm. Have you had any stories or times where you've had to, you you met somebody in the office when you were maybe doing a workshop or something or a group of people that were just intractable. They just were not budging, not on page with you. And then maybe you were able to convince them otherwise. Or maybe yeah. you didn't. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And um, oftentimes it was moving them from the interpersonal I have never done this. I mm. hadn't benefited from uh, mm. this. I didn't ask for this. And mm. oftentimes it's more than just one conversation, more than just one engagement. And, you know, doing this work is meeting people, you know, where they are. 
Um, and, you know, it's a journey and it's mm-hmm. an opportunity to engage folks uh, without criticism or judgment and just curiosity. Um, well, mm-hmm. tell me more. Um, this continuing, right, right. continuing to engage in mm-hmm. uh, conversation. And there's often people, and there are instances where there have been people that you hadn't been able to move and that's fine. Yeah. Um, that's fine, you know, as well. Would you say that the, what I found is that the key sometimes is, regardless of someone's opinion, everybody wants respect, right? Everybody wants Absolutely. to feel, Absolutely. everyone wants to feel listened to. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, I mean, I've known, I'll say this flat out that I've got some stubborn people in my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I come from a mixed family of mm-hmm. white, black, Scandinavian, mm-hmm. Jewish, mm-hmm. Native American, all that. And, you know, the Thanksgiving dinner can get interesting, right? Because <laughs> yeah. not everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. But what I've found with particularly stubborn people is when they see that you, the person who is on the opposite side, maybe agree with them on maybe some things, mm-hmm. they are able to admit that, you know what, I agree with you on some things too. Yeah. You know, a lot, of, a, a lot of times it's like, you know, people don't agree just because they're proud. You know, it's like right. they're sitting there and they're like, oh, I'm not listening to this. It's, it's eight o'clock in the morning and I have my own ideas. I'm sticking with that. And, you know, oh my gosh, my kids are in daycare. Are they okay? All, you know, people are coming together, coming with a whole world of, of issues, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that, um, I think that's right. I mean, when, when either, either side of the argument, if you will, uh, just, um, hunkers down so much where um, no one's able to move, then no one actually moves, right? So it's like, right. what is what is the common like? What is the common ground? Um, and oftentimes, like I mentioned it before, uh, this is not working for anyone, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. being able to um, identify specifically what that this is not working for anyone is. And oftentimes it's this conversation, it's this, this, this um, gorge that we have be, between us. Um, and, uh, you know, these positions that we uh, oftentimes feel that we have to, to take and maintain. Um, but really connecting on, on um, you know, just very basic principles of humanity. Yeah. Very basic principles of humanity. And I found that if I, um, especially working in, in larger systems or even smaller systems, that if I can um, help people to really think about all of the things that we want, we all want to feel like we belong. We all want to feel like our words matter, our, mm-hmm. um, our us, us being there matters, our contributions, like what we give um, matters, and that it all adds up to something, and that there are high levels of respect, mm-hmm. right? And if we can connect on those, there's so much that that we can that we can accomplish, right? And there's a little bit of something that some at some point in someone's life where they didn't feel like they belonged, mm. and it may not be their skin color, and it may not be right. their gender. Freshman um, year of high school, Freshman right? Year of high right, school, right? Right. And if you could <laughs> tap into that, that feeling is the same, right? Yeah. Um, now, yeah. there's some cumulative, um, you know, um, sort of hurt and harm based mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, the, the identities that have, um, been dehumanized and devalued and the more mm-hmm. of those that you might have, um, obviously, but we've all had those experiences where we felt like we didn't belong, where we put in all of our effort and someone just said, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, Um, how do you connect on those? Um, Is, is often times a sweet spot in Mm -hmm. being able to, uh, to make some traction in moving um, in a direction that is going to support and not obstruct the change that you're working towards. I think it's a really great way to put it, support and not obstruct the change. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I like to listen to different kinds of people that think in different ways. So sometimes 
I watched like a Fox News show. You know, I'm just there in the afternoon. I've got a day off. Why not? I'm um, sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I watch I watch a whole bunch of stuff. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I want to know because I work in the space. I want to know how to talk to a more conservative person. I want to know yeah. how to get get them on board, you know, um, and uh, not in like a fascist way where I'm saying you have to think like me, but in a way where I think this can benefit all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think. You know, some I've heard people say, someone like Tucker Carlson, say that equity is the enemy of of equality. A lot of people in the DEI space say that you need to balance the playing field, right? It's like equity is considering, um, the way I learned, is considering where someone's been, their context, and then helping them uplift themselves rather than just seeing everybody as if they're on equal playing fields. But, you know, have you... What would you say to somebody who says that equity actually is the enemy of equality? Because with equity, they say you're overcompensating for people. You're treating them like a victim, right? And then you're not being equal towards all the other people, hypothetically, that are there. Yeah, I would say, what's the evidence? Okay. I would ask, what's what's the evidence? Now, um, yeah, there is some real differences between equity and equality, right? Mm -hmm. And there are some instances where you need to use one and not the other. Oftentimes, people are mashing them, you know, together, right? Um, It matters, like, equity matters and equality matters uh, depending on the goal and the outcome, right? It's really easy to say, um, you know, let's not do equity uh, when you've always had the advantage Mm. because somewhere down the line, uh, your analysis is that means you're going to get less. But if we do equality, then I'm still ahead. Like I don't lose any ground, right? Um, if somebody is giving out hundred dollar bills, you know, if you have two dollars in your pocket, that hundred dollars is going to make a difference. Right. If you have five thousand in your pocket, you know, yeah. it may not matter. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, it's an argument for distraction. Um, and, you know, there is a there is a need for equality. There's a need for equity and there's a need for clarity on which one needs to which um, intervention is required for whatever outcome you're taking up. Hmm. Right. Right. So, for example, in an organization, if you say we're doing, you know, um, five percent merit increases across the board. okay, That seems equitable because it's, um, you know, a a cost. I mean, a cost of living adjustment or something we're doing across the board. You know, everyone, everyone gets gets that, Um, you know, you don't necessarily say, well, for cost of living increases, the people at the top shouldn't, you know, have an adjustment for cost of living and the people at the bottom shouldn't have it. Like the equity for that purposes seems to be appropriate. But now if you say we have inequity in, I'm sorry, equality is appropriate for that. Now, if there's inequity in your in your scale, that there's such a big gap between the mm-hmm. people who make the highest amount of money and the people who make the lowest mm-hmm. amount of money, continuing to give the people and, and you want to actually do something about it, continuing to give the people at the top more or, or the same, um, you don't do anything on on, um, you know, on that gap uh, between right. the highest and the lowest paid. So. It matters. It's like, what are we trying to um, solve? What's the it's, 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 I mean, it's similar to taxes, right? I mean, it's like if you have a flat tax, the billionaire is like, okay. But the person, you know, if that's a flat tax that's higher than the ratio to what I'm earning right. and what I made, you know, then yeah. it's coming out of my paycheck and then also my property. Yeah. Right. 
then if you have property, if, if you, you have, property, have a paycheck, right? If you have property, right? But, but let's <laughs> right exactly. But let's you know, for somebody who's just living paycheck to paycheck, you know, right. you know, uh, a five percent increase it could be very significant in a way that a, it's not a five percent increase who's, can who's mean wealthier. can I pay my rent? Yeah, can I pay my rent? Yeah, will I yeah. be homeless? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think the, the equity conversation really extends beyond even a conversation of race. It could be mm-hmm. a conversation about economics as well. I mean, it could be it'd be a conversation about anything, anything. right? Yeah. Even, and, even voting. Right. Yeah. Right. And so um, usually the 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 people who put up um, such at such underdeveloped argument are the people who have benefited the most um, mm. and hold that it's a zero sum game, which means if you get more, then I get less and somehow I lose. Right. Um, and, you know, that's uh, the um, tension that we are all dealing with um, yeah. doing this work in this space. Now, do you, do you mostly work with private companies or uh, in public institutions, educational institutions? I work with a variety of institutions over the years. My current portfolio um, is really focused on uh, organizations that are led by people of color uh, who are doing work uh, to change the material conditions for black and brown people um, Mm -hmm. in this country and in the world. Um, Okay. um, Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm currently doing, but I've worked for, you know, fortune 50 companies um, and uh, the benefit of having your own consultant practice, you get to choose, you know, how you spend your time and where you, and, and I've focused on where I believe I can have the greatest um, impact. Well, hopefully I could be like you someday, you know, yeah. when I, when I grow up. <laughs> I may want to be like you. <laughs> but uh, what, are, what are some of the challenges you've, you, you encounter, um, particularly even when working in the space of a black, uh, a black or brown company? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest challenge uh, for organizations is having this willingness to be open for outside scrutiny, mm. right? And right. the ability to almost bear its soul. Right. Um, and oftentimes um, for um, organizations that are, are run by uh, people of color or focus on people of color, uh, they've already given a lot. They've already, you know, shared a lot, exposed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, it could be a strain, you know, on their, on their, on their systems, depending on where they are in the, their organizational, uh, maturity level, like how long they've been um, right. in existence. And if they actually have, um, you know, funding like some, or, you know, unlike, um, you know, larger corporations who are well-resourced, um, or, you know, organizations who have large endowments or philanthropy, um, uh, you know, contributions. Um, you know, some organizations are really uh, finding it tough to, mm-hmm. um, you know, stay the course, especially within these last uh, couple of years that we've been in this global pandemic and things have just shifted the way that we that we yeah. work and the way that we do business. Um but I would say um, that's not unique to the organizations that I currently work with, like for larger organizations too. Um, are they willing to be open um, for mm-hmm. a assessment, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And um, the ability to, po- the, to both take uh, decisive leadership and take direction um, for what's required. And I'm, you know, really clear about the language I'm using, like what's required versus what we've already always done or what we actually, you know, can do or want to do. Right. Um, and then, you know, 
this thing around having a deep commitment for organizational leadership to take on this work over the long haul. Um, We've all seen uh, since 2020 organizations espousing these grandiose commitments around doing better around racial Mm. justice and equity in light of the George Floyd, um, Mm. you know, murder and, Mm. um, uh, you know, doing things different. Um, Employees of organizations have been, you know, calling uh, on their leadership to line up with some of those espouse uh, commitment statements around um, diversity and equity and and racial justice and social justice and how um, things actually play out with inside the walls of the organization. So beyond just the protests, beyond just the, um, you know, the the moment uh, where there was a lot of attention um, post, uh, you know, the continual brutalization of black and brown bodies in this country. And so what's um, required in the long haul, because cultural and systemic change takes time mm-hmm. uh, because this uh, reality has been baking in our system for over 500 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I could, you know, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a history buff. I've taught high school history, AP Euro. And when you, what's fascinating is when you look at what they never teach you is in the middle ages. So Roman empire falls, right? So before that, when the Roman empire was there, there was a big community in the Mediterranean of black and brown and white people living in their own the different spaces there were whites in egypt and nubia there were blacks in greece and rome i mean we have i mean there's tons of evidence of this right mm-hmm. i mean even when they depict in the middle ages cleopatra they depict her looking like you they don't depict mm-hmm. her looking like gal gadot right well, what is that about right. yeah. <laughs> you know, we know and, what it's about but <laughs> right well right, 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 right and you know you don't get really and even you know africans conquered spain and i've been to spain mm-hmm. and i've seen how mm-hmm. the white spaniards depicted mm-hmm. the black Spaniards mm-hmm. and the black Spaniards look like me. They look like you. These are mm-hmm. black people. People mm-hmm. want to say, oh, no, they were Arab and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all bullshit, really. Right. And I bring this up because this is a distortion that's been taught in our schools about the, the collective history of black and brown and white people. Mm-hmm. And colonialism really did us a disservice because it was Europeans lying to themselves. You know, Europeans would just have to walk through a royal tower or see a painting and say, oh, there's been black people in Portugal since, bef- you know, the 780, you know, AD. Right. You know, this is nothing new. You know, they right. have black people as much Portuguese as anybody else. Mm-hmm. That You know, um, uh, so, you know, the, if we can change that that programming that that has been imputed in w- w- from European culture and that American culture into us, then we can really start to unlearn and unpack why we are the way we are. You know, I talk to some conservatives and they say, we need tradition, traditional values, right? <laughs> the values that defeated the British and started America. That's what we need. And, you know, my my response to that is that there are a lot of great values that come from what you're calling traditional values. But let me tell you something. Those values came from, you know, people, thinkers, philosophers like Montesquieu and people like... Um, you know, uh, uh, other philosophers that were there, Rousseau, that were revolutionaries for their time. Nobody liked, a lot of people didn't like what they were saying. The mm-hmm. establishment did not like all this democracy stuff. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is conservative was liberal back then. And if liberal can be conservative and conservative can be liberal, then this is all topsy-turvy. We got to figure out what's best, right? It's not about the sides. It's about what's going to get us to be a more united and um, productive people. Yeah. And that's why, yeah. that's how I try to convince people who don't like DI, I mean, thoroughly don't like DI, how to start to engage it. Right. Because, you know, I, I was just with one of my conservative friends uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, when I first met him, he would not even entertain the conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would get, he would get mad, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm like, wow, he's got a lot of, in, in Hinduism, they call it a basana, a basana. Like you got mm-hmm. like a lot of just, um, a mindset that is preventing you. It's a block in your mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. But now after a couple of years of being friends with him, 
we had full on conversations about it. Mm-hmm. And that's all I was trying to get to. I'm not trying to get him to necessarily always agree with me. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get him to at least engage me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes, and it makes, and it makes us all better. I mean, it's, you know, it's really interesting around um, this history, uh, this history piece, and we see it, you know, playing out now in these um, battles around um, critical race theory and mm. should it be taught or should it not be taught. Um, there's an African proverb. Um, I may, you know, not get it right, but essentially it says something um, to the effect that until the lions have their historians, tales of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. Um, yes, and, yes, and so, I, I've heard that before. Yeah, and so it's like, um, you know, when do we become the narrators, or how do we continue right. to become the narrators of our of our own stories and, um, uh, you know, share the actual lessons uh, mm-hmm. lessons learned. Um, and you know, when is that introduced and, uh, to whom and how does it become, um, a, a part of, a part of learning? Like if we can learn about, um, uh, the, the glorified hunter, Mm -hmm. then, um, you know, we can learn about the lions, you know, as, as well. And so, um, yeah, engaging in a, a conversation um, uh, that is um, broad enough and also also focus in a way um, and over time, right? Some people think about conversation as one, you know, 15 minute conversation, we've had a conversation, but engage in, in dialogue uh, mm-hmm. over a period of time, because it's a lot to unpack, it's a lot to unlearn, it's a lot to interrogate. And oftentimes we even have to interrogate our own uh, belief systems, because a lot mm-hmm. of these things that we hold right. started to be established even before uh, we had any real understanding. Right, um, right. And, and, and we um, had our early belief system established by people that uh, we love and respect um, in, mm-hmm. in the early parts of our lives and our schools mm-hmm. and our families and our mm-hmm. churches, um, you know, at our uh, um, um, play dates, play dates, our, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, at our cousin's house, at our right. family reunions and, um, right. you know, by people that, that we absolutely love and adore and mm-hmm. we are fully understand <laughs> that they wouldn't, uh, teach us anything that, um, you know, we shouldn't know or that will be detrimental to us. But it's a lot of interrogation. It's the interrogation of our belief system. It's being in a place where um, we are open to uh, assessing, mm-hmm. does that still work for me now and right. where I'm headed? And when we are engaging adults um, uh, in organizations through these um diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, you know, policies and, and practices is really asking them to, uh, yeah, you have to reevaluate. And that's what we're asking our yeah. uh, liberal friends, we're asking our conservative mm-hmm. friends to just be in dialogue um, yeah. with us um, and explore um, what's required together. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, I think there's two things going on. I think people don't like duality, the duality of being a human, right? That I can both be a teacher and a learner, mm-hmm. right? I can be the, I can be the pupil and the master, mm-hmm. right? At some level, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you can be a master of one thing, but at some other thing, you're a total novice, right? Right. And people don't always feel comfortable saying that people always sometimes kind of like, I have to be this one thing. I have to be totally dedicated to this one thing. It defines me. It's my absolute it's an mm-hmm. absolutist mm-hmm. kind of perspective. And I think that if we can look at, you know, we in this country, you know, up until, you know, the civil rights movement, what it really did was it really opened up space for new storytellers in this country, new narrators, right? Not only in the black community, but in the Hispanic community. People forget there was a large Hispanic farmers movement in the civil rights movement. Yes. It was a large... Uh, red power native american movement mm-hmm. there was obviously we have women's live um uh the 
immigration, uh, immigration, Mm -hmm. things like that. So, you know, new storytellers are coming and sometimes other storytellers don't want to share that spotlight. They don't want to share the same book. And especially when we're trying to consider how we think about narrative, right? Mm -hmm. How narrative can be spun by, by certain cabal of people uh, to aggrandize and uplift some people, uh, but denigrate and put down others. And I think the equity conversation, the inclusion conversation is not one that says history is just wrong. I think what inclusion and equity and diversity says is history has not been complete. History has not been completely told. Right. Mm-hmm. It's been told definitions have been belonging to the definers for too long. We need definitions to be something that is belonging to uh, the the uh, the um, the opposition for voice and the majority voice. We need definitions to really be something that is evolving mm-hmm. uh, with the times mm-hmm. um, as more and more people start to feel comfortable speaking out about their experience. Uh, and I think maybe you, you can speak on this too, you know, there's gotta be some, some, some tools that the average person can have to prepare themselves for a DEI conversation. Do you think those exist? I think we possess them, right? I think Mm -hmm. to, um, have a D E and I, you know, conversation, um, we, we have them, right? It's the conditions that, um, the conditions in the space uh, where the conversations are being held, I think is what, what needs to be addressed, right? And so, um, you know, your experience, it's like, how much are you willing to share with others and, and in what spaces, right? Like mm-hmm. we, um, uh, you know, what is the psychological safety uh, that mm-hmm. is that is required. Right. Um, you know, is it? Am I going to share something that's going to be brought up for public scrutiny at another time to be held against me? Mm-hmm. Um, do I have the permission to speak in first draft, or right. uh, is the thing that I am going to say that thing you know right now that may um, not be polished? That may not be. Um, uh, that that may not be politically, you know, correct, or it may, you know, land on uh, someone um, uh, funny and not in a good way. Um, you know, what are we? Cre- how are we creating those spaces for people to to engage? Um, and obviously, if it's a um, space where uh, there's a lot at risk, like um, my paycheck, my job, mm-hmm. um, I may not be uh, as as willing, right? And so um, people know their experiences and often people know what they uh, want to say or, or, um, or what needs to be said. It's the, uh, can they say it without judgment or criticism um is there a psychological safety i know you know people talk about having a safe space but you know is it really a a a third space where Mm -hmm. um there is a meaningful um candid you know conversation and what is the time right oftentimes Mm um you know organizations uh, use a strategy of um, creating workshops um, in isolation of anything else that's happening in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just not adequate um, time to unpack and to to close, um, you know, what people are holding and, and what they need. And, uh, I know we saw it in in George in George Floyd um, in the George Floyd murder, and you know people are still coming coming to work and having to leave part of themselves outside of the organization mm-hmm. um, when they uh, 
their stuff to express around what they're feeling, uh, what they're thinking. Um, and organizational leaders are like, okay, we're having our check-in for today. Like, uh, how are we working against our work plan and, and what are mm -hmm. the things? And, uh, uh, the ongoing um, attacks in in our community um, and the persistent trauma that um, you know some people live in um, mm -hmm. for no other reason but uh, the color of their skin or right. their gender. Right. Um, it's it's a lot, and you know, you come into an organization and they say, "Well, we're going to have diversity." Uh, equity and inclusion day and mm -hmm. um, but we've never had one before <laughs> mm -hmm. right right and, and yeah, um, yeah yeah and I have a manager who um, you know has very awful uh, practices and behaviors around equity and inclusion mm -hmm. Yeah, people are just not going to participate. And it doesn't have anything to do with the person. It has everything to do with are the conditions um, in a way that people can actually take this on at work. Right. I uh, I used to be a uh, professor at um, York College here. It's part of the CUNY system in New York. Mm -hmm. And my students were a mix of... Um, so we had we had black kids, we had uh, maybe a couple of Hispanic kids in Queens where I was working, uh, a lot of Indian uh, families, uh, Guyanese uh, as well in the class. And I grew up, even though I'm from Queens originally, my family moved to Long Island. Mm -hmm. I went to private schools my whole life and I'm used to being the one black voice. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also considering my own blackness, right? I'm considering where, where do I fit on that in, the in that history, that continuum right? of yeah. blackness, right? Yeah. You know, like uh, I like a little bit of rock and roll. I'm trying to find black artists that do rock and roll. You know, I I also I I, I eat collard greens every day. You know, like pretty much every day. That Southern black culture is in my family from Alabama. So, you know, what I learned growing up in the all white space uh, was that there's a lot of talent. Um, I'm, I'm a mixed, right, private school, white, upper class populations. But that's also because they're being maximized, right? When they go to school, the school is saying, you're the best. You made it to here. You're the best. And you'll continue to be the best if you do what we say. And then you'll go to another college where they'll tell you you're the best again, right? Mm -hmm. But for the kids that I was teaching at your college, they haven't been told that. They mm -hmm. haven't been given that belief. They haven't had somebody impress that upon them. Mm -hmm. So they have to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And when they come into the class, you know, their position is this guy doesn't respect me. I'm, I'm just going to cop out. I'll sit in the back, not pay attention. Maybe I'll come, maybe I won't come. Right. And what I figured that I had to do, even though I'm not from the same necessarily place as them, is I had to figure out what's going to get them to get buy-in to what I'm saying. How can I empower my, how can I be empowered here so that by the end of the class, they start to empower me, right? They start to be excited to come to class. They want to hear what I have to say. And they put other kids in check to say, hey, you're not doing, doing your work or hey, shush, let them talk or something like that, right? And that transition, I think, can apply to the workplace, workplace as well. That you're going to have a lot of people from different backgrounds, maybe different than yours, if you're a DI consultant out there or you're trying to get into business, you know, you're going to have people that you are completely different than, you know, but it's not only just conversation and respect that, that, that does it. It's also someone needs to empower you, I think. Right. I mean, do you feel like the, at some level you need to be given some kind of authority, some kind of power to be able to impute true DI in a, in a space that doesn't necessarily agree with it? Hmm. I don't know. I, that's a, you said a lot there. Um, you said a lot. One of the things that, uh, came to mind is one as a, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion person, you have to be clear that, uh, there's so much to know and you don't know it all. And, right. um, to also, 
um, be in partnership with other equity and inclusion folks um, mm. because we've all been socialized the same way. Right. Um, perhaps some of us have been uh, doing, you know, what we like to say is our own work and uh, getting clear on, uh, you know, where we fit on all of these spectrums. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing that I learned early on is regardless of my experience and accomplishments, uh, I can income or educate my way out of being black. Right. And it's important to uh, be um, uh, connected to and within the community in which I come um, and uh, always to explore what that means in, in any given situation. And, um, you know, I think it's I think it's um, it's really challenging um, to do work in a system if there's not clarity on what you're actually taking up. Right. And so I typically um, would do some sort of analysis uh, so that I am very clear on, you know, what I'm <laughs> what I'm walking into, um, if you will. And a comprehensive analysis. Um, there is a gap between always a gap between what the organization says that they want um, to be and to be doing and where they actually, and where they actually are. And so exploring or getting really clear on where they actually are. Um, and not just from the standpoint of the people who are making the decisions. Cause oftentimes I'll go into organizations, they'll say, Oh, well, we don't have those problems here. Mm, what are the problems right. that you speak of? They can't even name the problems. Right, we, don't have, right. we don't have those problems here. We're working right. on equity and inclusion. We don't have those problems. It's like, right. what are the problems that you're talking about? Um, and so, you know, doing a, um, an assessment, uh, an audit of, um, you know, their, their products, their programs, their policies, their structures, their practices, their culture, uh, um, both, you know, obviously counting the numbers, but also getting, um, you know, quantity, um, uh, data from, from folks, uh, on how they're feeling and they're doing what you can't always capture in numbers. Um, and then really getting a sense of who the stakeholders are and their perspectives and their expectations for, uh, the future of the organization and doing some reconciliation, you know, on that. Um, and, you know, really understanding what the commitment is from the organizational leaders to do what's required in order to, to do the work. Now, I hadn't always been in a position to where um, I could say, um, no, I'm not going to move forward or I can't move forward with this process or this or this project because I was internal and it was my role to figure mm. it out and to figure out yeah. how to do it. Um, and sometimes it's hard. You have to continue to, um, you know, to to work at it. Um, I don't I'm trying to wrap my head around the around the empowering. Um, right. I think it's not necessarily so much empowering in my practice. It's been uh, the partnering, right? The, the, the partnering um, with the people that can sort of clear the way and provide the runway in order to be able to, to do the work. Um, and also creating a process to do the work with the folks who have the ability to um, halt it or uh, to, um, you know, green light it to do the work uh, faster than the rest of the organization. So they're always leading and, mm. and always know what's coming, you know, what's coming ahead, because it's often been really hard in practice, at least for me, is to have the leaders on the same, you know, sort of pace and trajectory 
uh, because they're anxious and, you know, it's a lot of uncertainty and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it can get really, really slow. And so if, um, if I'm lining up to what you were saying, like that is the em- empowerment is um, giving the uh, having the intention and attention with the stakeholders um, so that they are clear as to what's required and that they're on their own personal journey and that um, understanding that it's more than just espousing to wanting to do better, that there are behavioral changes and practices that are required um, in order to, to make that happen and being in full partnership with them along on their journey. Well, I think that's couldn't have said it better. And I think that's a, a good place to leave it. I want to I want to thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for coming on. I want to thank our audience for listening. I think we had a really great discussion. I think, you know, it's uh, this isn't just for experts. Right. I think DEI is something that if you work in an office place or if you really care, even if you care about a race different than your own, you care about an issue that, you know, we need people to care about people who are different than them, right? I, You can care about the, where's diversity, equity, inclusion come in with what Russia might do in Ukraine? Where does it come in with what's going on on the border, right? With the Haitian immigrants and Mexican immigrants, where does it come into play just in your daily life amongst your, amongst your, your friends or where you send your kids to school? It, it's really not just a thing for people of expertise. It's for anybody to learn. So I'll leave you with that audience. Remember, you can find us wherever podcasts are found. Like, subscribe, share, please do. And Dr. Brown, do you have any last words? Uh, I um, just would like to thank you for um, for having me here. And, you know, it takes all of us um, to create a world for all of us. So, um, you know, happy to do my little part and invite everyone else to do theirs. Muhammad Ali, my dad told me this, wrote the shortest poem in history. He said, me, we. And that was it. <laughs> All subtext. Yeah. So uh, I want to yeah. tell the audience that, again, we drop our episodes in the last two weeks of every month. This is for season two now we're on. And um, thank you so much. So we'll see you next time. Remember, we're better when we trend together. <laughs>